This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about something that's been circling around uh, the social media world and the research world. Uh, Chad Cook, who we uh, talked about on a previous episode, uh, a big researcher and professor in orthopedics and manual therapy, uh, released the eight demonizations of uh, manual therapy, uh, as you know, it seems uh, on social media and you know, current social media gurus out there, um, and also in the research that were, you know, manual therapies under attack a lot, um, forcing potentially new grads or um, seasoned therapists to give up on it. Um, and they're throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater, as it's commonly said on this show by Brandon. But uh, before we get too much into it, uh, it should be a fun uh, little chat today. But Brandon, how's it going? Going well over here, man. Uh, yeah, guys, we're, we're actually going to do a different episode. And I saw this pop up on AMP's uh, Instagram feed, which if you guys don't follow AMP, definitely give them a follow. They put out a lot of good stuff. Uh, and then being that we had um, a couple of times we had, you know, talked and mentioned the initial, uh, I guess, podcast with uh, Dr. Uh, Jared Powell, with uh, Adam Minkins and Chad Cook. And then we had our own, you know, we threw our own two cents or, you know, combined four cents into uh, into the, the ring there. And then when this came up, I was like, all right, let's let's talk about this while we've been on this topic. I think this article came out about a month ago, you said. And uh, I think this would be a nice talk, especially as you go away for the next two weeks for a few weddings there. Um, this would be a nice, uh, nice conversation to have. But um I guess we'll go into our drinks as we normally do. What do you What do you got on your end? Oh, I got the uh, Cisco Breweries, uh, which is in Nantucket, Whale's Tail Pale Ale, which has got a nice uh, rhyme to it. Uh, I uh, I had a sign, a like a sign that you hang up in your home, you know, bar from them for years, and I actually never had them before. So uh, finally got a chance to uh, get a six pack of them. So uh, I'm going to crack this open uh, my Fox Farm Brewery, which was in Connecticut, Rhode Island, one of the two. Uh, pretty cool brewery out on a farm, really nice aesthetics. Um, a lot of good farm ales over there. So uh, I'll let you know my score in a minute there. Brandon, what you got on tap? Yeah, I got a uh, one from a former intern of mine, which is he's now going to be our one of our new hires, uh, A Cakes Trinidad. There, uh, he got me a Jack Daniel's honey uh, a few months back. I think it was around Christmas time. So I'm gonna hit this open in uh, in honor of him here. He had got me that. I think he had got me a vodka Red Bull too. I, I had on the show, uh, knowing that's uh, one of my favorite drinks there. Uh, this is another one. He also got me another bottle. I'll save that for another episode. But that's what I got today. Way to go, eight cakes. He knows, he knows the way to your heart there. Or liver. He does. And, and he's a baller, too. So, all right. So, what, uh, 
what were your thoughts when you first saw this? Actually, I think you you were aware of this article uh, before I was. Yeah, uh, I saw it on I think LinkedIn. Um, Zach Walston, who's also on the show, put up a nice uh, infographic of it um, summarizing the the eight uh, demonizations. Um, but definitely off of the uh, off the heels of that. Uh, conversation between cook and meekins uh i thought this kind of solidified things and further the points that um chad was bringing up during that show um which we previously released our points on it uh i thought it was good i mean i thought he was you know he's honest um with with his whole viewpoints and everything like that i thought it was really important for everybody to see um you know that these demonizations were they're not valid um and you know I, i've come across students now i've seen people on social media where they're you know they're hanging their hats on you know a couple articles here or you know these sweeping generalizations of manual therapy um and i think this this article you know highlighted in a it's the thing was it three pages maybe four uh, uh, so, a little more than that. I think five or six. No, four, five uh, or six. Well, two of them are references, so six. Yeah. So grand total, not that many pages for those people who kind of get, you know, they're daunted by long, long research articles. This is quick summaries of things, um, and then yeah, he just brings into highlights of the main points, which I'll, I'll just kind of bring up, you know, one by one was. One, manual therapy has no unique specific effects. That's demonization number one. Uh, number two is use of manual therapy leads to patient reliance and dependency and subsequent low self-efficacy. That's Meekin's viewpoint. Uh, you know, Chad brings that up as that's more of a blog than anything that's actually be researched. And if you look at Meekin's rebuttal, he brought up the eight straw men's. Um, you know, he, he admits it to himself is that you know, there is no research that, but anecdotally speaking, that's what he's seen over his career. Um, you know, I would say things are maybe a little bit different over here. Um, you know, and what are we comparing that to dependency on manual therapy or, you know, dependence on opioid addictions or, or hell dependency on surgeries. I know some patients um, before they're, you know, in their mid thirties, they're already five, six surgeries deep for surgeries that are completely unnecessary. So is that considered dependency uh, or reliance? But um, so we'll talk more about that. Number three was manual therapy provides only short-term changes, which do not equate to long-term changes. Uh, we'll talk about that. I think it really depends on, you know, your viewpoint of things. If we're not applying those short-term changes and making an immediate impact early on and um, you know, modulating that pain, does that person end up with chronic pain? Um, but uh, number four, manual therapy techniques are based on outdated and appropriate philosophies, philosophies, sorry, that were derived to support a guru's theory. Chad uh, Cook admits to that. Number five, manual therapists lack skills in communication, reassurance, and empathy, which I, you know, very much disagree with. Uh, that's highly not the case. The, all the manual therapists I've been around with, I had the benefits of going on fellowship training and seeing some of the best manual therapists. They're some of the best educators I've ever seen. Uh, number six, manual therapy does not fit within value-based care, which we talked about last kind of session. 
Number seven, manual therapy can uh, cause as much harm as help. That's highly debatable. And number eight, we can identify candidates for manual therapy, which means the techniques are unnecessary. Um, that can be said about just about any medical intervention. But those are the ones out there if you haven't had a chance to read it, so you're not completely lost. But Brandon, what about you? What were your thoughts? Yeah, uh, first of all, well, well written by Chad Cook. Uh, I really think he expressed things very well, articulated them better than I could ever hope or, or dream to. Um, so when I read this, I was like, you know, this guy's nailing, nailing it and presenting, you know, both sides of the coin in a relatively unbiased manner. I, I think everyone has biases, um, you know, good, bad, and different. So to say, you know, it's completely unbiased is probably not true, but, you know, like you said, one of his points where he talks about the, um, dogmatic approach of philosophies and gurus what's that number four yeah he he admits that yeah there's a lot of truth behind that mm-hmm. um so you know i think it's it's well written and i i want to say even before i go into it, i feel like this is you know the the battles the turf battles you know forget between professions but within our own profession is becoming like politics, you know, uh, Republicans versus Democrats, right? Liberals um, and not and and so forth. But, um, you know, you know, we have the exercise and pain science camps and then we have the manual therapy camps and then within manual therapy, joint base versus soft tissue and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, I, I would think, you know, our at least you and I, and, and probably, you know, some of the people in the same types of training, OCSs and uh, residencies, fellowships, probably more so agree than not. And, you know, we're trying to spin it or not spin it, but present things, you know, as unbiased as possible and want therapists and want to improve, uh, improve the profession to move forward uh, the way it needs to. And not just, as we always say, throw the baby out of the bathwater or fall into a camp. You know, our profession encompasses so many things. Why not use all of those things? Uh, and when you come to a, a point where people are saying uh, this never works or this always works, that's where you need to you know, raise your ears because nothing ever works and nothing never not works all the time. I don't know if that even made sense, mm-hmm. um, but hopefully you guys uh, got what, what I was saying there. You know, it, it's about finding you know, what patients this will respond to or patients will respond to X intervention. It doesn't have to be manual therapy. Mm -hmm. And I really liked point two um, when, or actually point three, uh, demonization number three, manual therapy provides only short-term changes, not equate to long-term changes. And we've all talked about the test retest Um, you know, and things like that, but he even goes on to, uh, to say, and I kind of highlighted some points here is important to recognize these studies include manual therapy as the primary treatment technique, but not include the control technique to see if the effects were specific to manual therapy. He goes on to talk about how each patient has their own endogenous, uh, pain modulating capacity or response, right? Each person has their own ability to adapt to pain in a different Mm -hmm. way. Some people respond very quickly and some people don't, Mm -hmm. right? So using manual therapy to see if that person 
is someone who responds to this intervention is a great way. And then you use it as a test retest. He went on to use an example uh, of a study done to prove or to talk about um, individuals' ability to adapt to pain. And it was, they stuck their hand and they measured this. They, they immersed a uh, patient's hand into a cold, um, cold like bucket of ice, ice water and measured their symptoms. And the people that have better responses or their a, a better natural regulatory ability to adjust to pain have a quick response to, let's say that first 10 seconds is awful with your hand in the ice. And any athlete who's ever taken an ice bath kind of understands this. The first minute sucks, but after that, you respond pretty, pretty quickly and you don't mind it too much mm-hmm. versus the people who have trouble with uh, adapting to pain naturally on their own are going to have a worse outcome and have a slower response to that. And if you think back to into Crips or uh, uh, what's the RSD, right? Um, yeah, they, one, of the, one of the thing is, or even whiplash, they have an abnormal response to cold. Mm-hmm. So now we're putting a, a few things together and we're just using manual therapy as kind of um, a control out delete or a way to re- help that person reset their, their pain system, right? Which... You know, for people who say that there is not enough research, and we've talked about it a lot, and Chad talks about it here, there that's probably the last thing because there is so much research pointing at the neurophysiological effects and all the um, biochemicals and non-GABA receptors and serotonin and dopamine and all all those biochemicals and brain chemicals that are altered with uh, manual therapy and thrust manipulation to be specific. Um, that's like the one thing we probably can hang around and that there is, um, there is research with that. So those are like two of the things that, uh, you know, really stuck out to me. And I really like that he was able to really kind of articulate that in a, in a nice manner. Um, I'll, I'll kind of pause on, you know, some more of my, my ranting, what I liked, uh, Jeremy, was there anything that kind of stood out to you in, uh, in the article? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of things. Um, I would like to piggyback once I saw that cold study, um, which was kind of interesting uh, in regards to pain and everything like that. Uh, I, I'll i talk about a, a Navy SEAL um, real quick. Um, their Discovery Channel did this thing about trying to assess the effectiveness of like, or what was it? So they pretty much wanted to see how elite Navy SEALs were and they want to run through a battery of tests and then see how their bodies tolerate like different conditions. So they put a Navy SEAL in like an ice bath for like an hour before the medical people were like enough is enough, but he was fine. Um, and he did this like shooting course pre and post and they actually did better post, which was just probably more for this to show because it's on discovery channel it looked cool, but I treated this Navy SEAL once and his like response to pain was significantly different than I've ever seen before. Um, he fractured, shattered his knee and essentially blew up and they have a knee replacement, you know, super young, um, but it was super scarred down and everything like that. But I remember pushing on his knee and it was, I felt pain just trying to push on him. That's how aggressive it was. And he is the first person who's ever told me to keep pushing. That's how much of a beast this guy was. Um, and it, it felt like I was going to snap his knee right off. But that was like 
just when I heard that study, um, that's how different certain people are versus certain people I've had with like ACLs. I came and gave them in the prone position to bend their knee. Um, so try and take it like an understanding, you know, maybe applying that study to try and get a gauge of your patients. But I think that's a little bit obviously cumbersome in the in the clinic, but it's just taking and understanding your patient's experiences and testing things out. There's plenty of times where obviously I have a manual therapy hat on, um, you know, I've gone through fellowships, whatever it may be, residencies, um, and I want to try and modulate the patient's pain. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh, sometimes it's just not what the patient needs at that moment. Um, and it's being able to be, you know, think outside of things and understand, yeah, this is multimodal. All right. Manual therapy may not be the move. Maybe I should just get them warmed up and exercise. So, you know, just kind of thinking of that, you know, we, we shouldn't pigeonhole ourselves to, you know, one tactic or another, but I thought that was kind of cool. Kind of brought up some goodness. Well, wasn't great memories for that particular Navy SEAL, but nostalgic for me in a sense, um, you know, based off of that, but yeah, I mean, uh, kind of what we were talking about. Um, I think the, I think it needs to be known, uh, the, you know, manual therapy does provide that short-term change and we're not trying to kid ourselves saying that, you know, this is going to be, you know, we crack your neck or we manipulate you, we put you back in place and you're cured for, for life or these outrageous claims that, you know, CO manipulations get cure multiple sclerosis, which I recently saw on Instagram, um, you know, you know, is this a window of opportunity, but why not capitalize on that? I think, I think a lot of people are missing that boat that we look at these studies of, oh, what are the effects at one month? Was it three months, six months, and then two years or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's, you know, the same two years out or six months out, it's like, why even bother applying it? Um, same goes for like the CPM machine. I think everybody got that uh, study when we were in PT school that CPM mm -hmm. machines were pretty worthless. Yeah. And CPM versus just passive range. Yeah. yeah. I'd say for most individuals, yeah, it's, it's pretty worthless. It's why I spend the money, but there are certain people where, you know, they're too afraid to bend their knee. And if you don't give it to them, then they're coming in stiff as a board because they got 10 degrees of knee flexion. So why not try and figure out who that is? Um, and, you know, again, apply the right intervention at the right time. Um, even Meekin's like rebuttal, the straw man rebuttal about this particular article, he even says that it's just like, we're doing well because we're challenging things. We're, we're trying to push the profession. You know, this should be welcome and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so it shouldn't be as far as a demonization, but it should just get to some challenges and those sort of things. So um, I think that's, that's, you know, these these viewpoints, these debates are really beneficial for that and understanding not everyone's going to fall in a nice, neat package and we need to work around it. But I've been talking for a bit there, Brandon, why don't you take Yeah, it? you you made a good point with the CPM versus passive range of, you know, heel slides. Uh, that article that was, you know, at least when we went to school in the 2010 to 2013 range, you know, probably plus or minus a few years. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that article was... Uh, passed around uh i, I think and, and this goes to to uh, demonization eight 
Um, but I believe in that study, both were effective, right? But heel slides was either slightly more effective or when you measured it for cost, it was deemed more effective because it didn't have the cost associated with uh, the CPM machine, correct? Mm. So demonization eight goes to, we can't identify candidates for manual therapy, which means the techniques are unnecessary. How you go from one end to all the way the other end is, is beyond me. But uh, he talks about a, a great point and basically that there was an error in this extrapolation. And I think uh, now, at least at least in the social media world, uh, but I even see it sometimes on the academia side the other way, where if it's, you know, if the article doesn't say it, if it's not grounded in research, uh, it, you know, it, we can't do it. There's a lot of holes in research. There's a lot of paucity. Uh, there's, you know, very few articles that are actually high quality that measure what we're really trying to look at and do, especially in the world of physical therapy. A lot of these studies are really, and when it comes to research, are really more so from um, uh, pharmacy or pharmaceutical and or like uh, medical practice, like MDs and things like that, but more so on the pharmaceutical side. So we're trying to take, you know, stats and research from that and, and you know, make it fit for what we do. But he talks about the error in this thought process and, you know, identifying appropriate and definitive candidates for treatments such as surgery, injections, medication, exercise, cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapy, uh, manual therapy, you know, you keep going. And uh, there's a response which he called uh, or terms, there's a shared response, regardless of no matter what approach that you use, there is always going to be some shared response in which everybody has some sort of, you know, uh, response similarity to it. Mm -hmm. So it's called a shared response. No matter what intervention you use, there's probably going to be some negative or some positive effects, right? It, which is why you see these null um, results uh, in trials, mm -hmm. right? And, and he obviously understands that better than uh, probably you or I would ever hope to being, you know, uh, the researcher that he is and, you know, uh, the experience that he has, but that shared mechanism, um, you know, suggests that there's no superiority in interventions, you know, across the board, but we as clinicians, uh, need to be able to understand research a little better and understand and what he terms a dirty secret, um, that we need to recognize that, uh, a majority of any musculoskeletal, um, approaches are going to yield similar outcomes. And I think part of that is because not only there's input, right? Um, and in physical therapy, we're talking about, you know, movement most of the time. And if we, we know for most chronic conditions, especially low back pain or neck pain, things like that, if you move, you're just going to get better. Uh, but the other part is time, right? We look at these um, long-term studies, six months out, a year out, two years out, what's the common denominator? Time. Mm -hmm. We all know the body has a great ability to heal itself for most things. And we're not talking about pain. We're talking about healing functionally and kind of getting on and doing what you need to do. Time is a big factor that oftentimes goes overlooked or underlooked, depending on how you look at it. So uh, I think that's, uh, you know, something not to highlight there. Um, and we can't just be so hard and stringent. And I think the last part I really want to get out in terms of this article um, is the, um, that dogmatic approach, right? And, you know, we've both undergone residency and fellowship trainings where, you know, we learn 
the origins of stuff, but we've also learned, okay, we've evolved it or how to evolve it, how to move away from some of that dogmatic approach. And, you know, the arguments out there, and we, we say Adam Minkins, but there's a lot of different groups out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll say the names. What's the, um, I'm blanking them right now. The, what's the athletes group? Clinical athlete. Yeah, there you go. Fine. Clinical athlete is very anti-manual therapy um exercise only i was a part of uh their group when he first started out i was very happy when i spoke to to him you know he wants to move the profession forward awesome wants to you know get people to squat when they're told they can never squat again great but you're again neglecting one side of what we're able to do Mm. and i can't get down with that personally um, you have another gentleman on there who I've had back and forth with and likes to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's, um, you know, a, a common term that's thrown out there. And this is someone who did a residency at a very uh, prestigious school. Um, why, you know, he decided to go one way or versus the other or, you know, uh, a more encompassing approach. I'm not sure. Uh, we've had you and I have had kind of our back and forth with the movement maestro um, and some of her stance with manual therapy or even residencies, not having not finding value in them and then spreading that word, um, you know, to to the platform that she has affecting or, you know, or having opinions that a lot of people are going to follow. Uh, we don't agree with them. We had, you know, our our stance as well. So it's not just Adam Minkins. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's a there's a, a lot of. Uh, reasons why people choose one route over another instead of really spending the time to to learn both sides of it and, and blend them together. And you said it as well. You went under a lot of training, a lot of manual therapy, but what is with that? A lot of pain science or just communication and neuroeducation that we're, we're taught and emphasized, hey, you do this, but you need to communicate to the patient. You need to put them first. You need to follow these guidelines. And it's a a whole package mm-hmm. but going back to the dogmatic approach with these skills um or techniques and i guess some of the movement and trying to move uh you know steer away from that which i totally get but to say it's unskilled and that anybody could do it is false because if anybody could do it every entry level student every student in pt school would know how to manipulate a neck mm-hmm. um and yes there are adverse reactions but what are those adverse reactions soreness maybe a flare up of symptoms for 24, 36 hours, Mm -hmm. right. Versus what are the um, adverse effects of surgery, medication, even exercise has a higher Mm -hmm. uh, sudden death rate than manual therapy. Mm -hmm. So while there is a saying that manual therapy, you don't need to be skilled, but it's more than pressy, pressy, pokey, pokey. Right. And we need as clinicians, this skill in clinical decision-making and clinical reasoning to apply um, these techniques safely to the correct patient at the correct time. So you don't get the really bad one, which is sudden death because you um, performed a cervical manipulation to somebody who's already experiencing a CAD. And then you kind of put them over the edge and notice how I worded that because we can't or don't cause CADs if you screen properly. Um, So that's where I kind of really wanted to, to kind of, I guess, go with that and mention my last pieces there. I, to piggyback off of that, I I agree. Um, you know, first things first, I guess you mentioned some things about, you know, some people who are very anti-against it. 
especially against residencies. All right, whatever. If maybe manual therapy didn't work for you, so be it. Uh, but like, especially residencies and fellowships, obviously we're biased, but I don't get how you can devalue something that provides higher level of learning. Uh, I guess if you're a PhD, maybe doctor of science, maybe you're you know, highly trained and then you did a residency, maybe it won't be as much of a value, but to knock on other things to provide uh, education and help push the profession forward. I always kind of found that was interesting. You see that a lot um, out there is where that's another thing that's being demonized. And a lot of it's done by individuals who I think that they monetize their presence on social media, um, who have hundreds of thousands of followers and used are used for their own education purposes. So, you know, if you have only $5,000 in continuing education or so, so much, and you can spend that on a residency or you can go spend it seeing XYZ, 600,000 follower, you know, th- person on uh, for one of their courses or one of their mentorships. Um, yet they devalue the same mentorship that's given in residencies and fellowships. So I always kind of find that funny um, about that sort of stuff. And another thing about like, you brought up some things about research and it's, um, you know, you know, it's kind of changed and everything like that. I think Mike Reynolds brought up a, a point that, you know, research back in his day when he's definitely much more involved was just trying to find out things that worked. And he's like, now all you find is research that's getting highlighted of things that don't work. We're trying to just sweep our own legs out from us. We're trying to just constantly throw everything out um versus trying to push and find what you know other things that work best so it's kind of sad that we've gotten to that point and i feel i got i'm very happy that i'm not you know young entry level right now where it's just like i don't know what to believe or follow a lot of the times but um yeah so hopefully you know everybody takes things with a grain of salt and you know again experience you know play around things as we mentioned on the show there's times where I've gone through phases of trying X, Y, and Z at different points. Mm. Now I get more wiser and wiser. It's a blend of everything. Um, you know, I threw out soft tissue for a while because I thought it was not really working. But every once in a while, now when I use it for the right person, it's, I always say it's a ticket. <laughs> um, it's what really helped. But I'm not doing soft tissue on the 20 people I see in a day or something. It's, one person if that maybe one person per week um maybe not even that but when i use it it works because i've played around with things um so yeah and then the last thing i we kind of you brought upon it you know uh i think uh in regards to manual therapy and pain science i know brandon and kyle who's been on the show did a great thing on pain reframed when we had the um our little webinar series about like integrating manual therapy and uh, uh, pain science education. And uh, Adrian Lowe's made a great book about that. that I've read some, you know, I think that's the best time to really, really apply your, your education of any sorts. Um, What else, when else are you going to do it? To me personally, someone talks to me while I'm exercising and maybe that's just me. Um, I kind of, I kind of tune out (laughs) Uh, even something as simple as a bike 
you know, I'll be able to talk about my day, but especially when it's like higher level learning and understanding and needs a collaborative kind of conversation between patient and therapist. Um, yeah, I've done it before, but um, I think the, you know, best part is, you know, while you're performing those hands-on techniques. And if I look back on how I, you know, treat throughout the day, it's a lot of times I have those pain posters, Brandon has them. So um, we obviously integrate it uh, a lot in our care. It's a lot of times I'm doing some of my techniques, starting some of these conversations, improving confidence, and then leading them right there to those, those posters. Um, so I think it's a great time to kind of integrate them both. I don't think it's as easy to do just during exercise. I've done it. Um, I don't think we should be the profession just to, Hey, sit down in a chair, let me educate you and then go off on your way or then go into exercises. I think, um, we're talking about high value based care. Why not combine two interventions at once in manual therapy and exercise or manual therapy and pain science education or education altogether. And that's, that's high value right there. It's two and one. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. It doesn't have to be, I need a lot of time purely for manual therapy. Um, you know, do a couple things at once. Um, you know, especially in IC two patients per hour, I'm doing manual therapy and I'm, you know, maybe supervise and tell patient do something else. So it doesn't have to be purely just that. Um, I think they made great points of, you know, in the previous conversations and the podcast and that sort of stuff, you know, those guru style manual therapists, which that's all they do. Yeah. That probably needs to be put out to pasture, but um, I think the modern therapist, um, which I don't think is highlighted enough. Um, we keep constantly bring back these old guys and these old gurus. Yeah. They're going to be around for a while, but, and there'll always be some trickling, but let's highlight the new modern therapist that's integrating, you know, all these components and doing the best, you know, that we can. And I think that has led to the rise in physical therapy and COVID and everything like that. You know, a lot of professions got hurt, but you talk people around, you know, physical therapy has grown. And I think that's a lot due to what we're giving as a whole package versus, you know, I'm the triage person. You go see six different other professionals, but yeah, it's probably last, last good points I wanted to kind of bring up there. Yeah. I guess uh, to wrap up, we should be more of, you know, we've, I think most people have told or heard that, we as a profession are a jack of all trades, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, equate that to, and for you baseball fans out there, that the five-tool pl- five player, they can do it all, right? They hit for power, they hit for average, great arm, great defense, they have great speed, right? Versus just being able to do one thing, um, right? Uh, you just hit home runs, but your average is, you know, below the Mendoza line of, you know, 190. So, we want to, at least where you and I come from, it's, you know, be good at everything, be good as, um, you know, everything you can be and learn where they fit in and, you know, be able to adapt to, Hey, my patient doesn't like being touched. Great. We're going to do hands-off approach. My patient likes being uh, touched or having manual therapy done and they respond well to it. Great. We're going to do that for a handful of sessions and then, you know, move on. 
Um, this patient needs to be talked to right now and educated. Cool, we'll do that. Like being able to do that, this patient needs to be referred out, we'll refer them out um, instead of just going at one thing. Um, you know, movement only helps so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I think that's all I have. I think you're, you're spent too. So I guess a little short of a sure. podcast today, but good. more of a, a, um, much more call. And Jeremy, Jeremy will post this article in the link as well. So you guys can, and can, uh, like it. Uh, I'm going to send it out to our newsletter, uh, feed and blast on the iOS MT. So if you guys aren't following us in there, please, uh, you know, give us a follow, subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get, uh, you know, weekly updates. We're starting to do those more and, and refine that. So, um, you're getting in a good time now. If you, uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter, um, other than that, Jerry, I think, think I'm, I'm out. Pretty good. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for uh, tuning in and, uh, cheers everybody. Thanks for tuning into this episode of nips and sips. If you liked what you listened to, please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. Interested in one of our courses? Go to www.iosmt.com. Interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice? Visit us at therehabcoaches.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations, whether that be clinical or SIPs, at Manips and SIPs, at The Decent Doctor, and at Think Like a Fellow. Thanks for tuning in and cheers, everyone. <laughs>